0: It doesn't say he washed the feet of 11 or 10. He washed their, all their feet. And when he came along to Judas, to the feet of a person who was about to go arrange for his torment and death, he washed his feet. He washed the betrayer. He washed the denier. He washed the forsaker, see? And he doesn't just serve because, in spite of who he is. He doesn't just serve in spite of what he's facing. He also serves in spite of who they are, in spite of what they've done or what they're about to do. Today on the
1: Songtime broadcast, we'll continue our study with the late Timothy Keller talking about Jesus washing the feet of his disciples and not just those who remained with him throughout the end, but he also focuses in on washing the feet of Judas, the betrayer. Stay tuned for that message, but first we're joined once again by Jamie Dunlop as we talk about the challenging and difficult situation that we all find ourselves in to love people that are difficult to love. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. Our theme verse for the first half of our study here in the Gospel of John was that famous verse, John 3.16. It's something that we all know, but it's important for us to spend some time just thinking about it, to to process and to to mull over it over and over again, which is why we repeated it each day of the broadcast. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16 tells us of the love of God and even shows us how it is demonstrated to us that God would give us his son, his only son whom he loved, so that by believing in him, we wouldn't perish. Jesus would perish in our place. He would be punished for our sins so that we could be given The the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But understanding the love of God, we also need to understand our theme verse for this second half of the Gospel of John, which is telling us how we are to love one another. The first commandment is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it to love our neighbors as ourselves. And in John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus gives us this new commandment. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's easy said and done, especially when the people that we love are lovely. But what about when the people that we love are are difficult and challenging? It'd be great if Jesus would have just given us some clear instructions on on what to do and when to do it and how to do everything. There are many things in the Bible that are clearly black and white, but there are also a lot of things that are sort of shades of gray. There are areas of conviction, areas of conscience. And in that, we are called, as the Apostle Paul teaches us in the, the last half of the the book of Romans, to consider our brothers and to learn to love them, even though it is hard. Well, our guest this week is Jamie Dunlop, and he's written a book called Love the Ones Who Drive You Crazy, Eight Principles out of the the Book of Romans that will help us to find unity in our church. Now, this is not simply unity for unity's sake. I know a lot of organizations out there that seem to be calling for unity, but Jamie, that is not what we're talking about here in the same context where we're just talking about unity as the the source and the end product the source and the end product of this type of unity is the gospel and in fact it's the gospel that's at stake if we do not love each other
2: as christ has loved us oh absolutely i i I think as evangelical christians sometimes we feel like if we believe the right thing that's all that matters and what i see as i go through the new testament is that there is a great focus on doctrine and making sure we believe the right thing about jesus we we don't want to give that up and there's a great deal of focus from jesus teaching the book of matthew on the church all the way through the epistles on a church body that reflects the message of the gospel uh, because if your church preaches what's correct and is divided that's a theological problem and you are denying with your actions what you say with your words hmm.
1: I know that this is an issue where it's hard because we don't want to compromise the truth for the sake of love, right? Uh, yeah. But we don't want to have the truth without love. That is a very uh, nuanced area in when it comes to to navigating those murky waters.
2: It is. And I think we're right as students of history to be skeptical when someone comes preaching unity. I mean, unity was the cloak in which the liberal gospel was sold to the church in the early 20th century i think about the mid-20th century unity was often used the excuse to be at least apathetic if not uh against the social rights movement the the um the civil rights movement that was happening at the time and so I, i think that unity and calls for unity have been greatly abused in the history of the church and yet uh Unity is what Jesus says, uh, John 13, is going to be what shows the world that we're his followers. And so we need truth and we need unity. And we have got to figure out how the two go together, not as competitors, but as friends.
1: Yeah. So, but truth is is such a black and white thing for many people. And, and truth is, in, in context, uh, all truth is God's truth, right? And, and God is not you know, confusing in the gray areas, but, uh, but for someone who has a strong conviction about something and somebody else has an equally strong uh, opinion about something in opposition, how can there be unity when they're diversely opposed?
2: Well, and I think that's one of the challenges of the church today is so many of our differences even within a church are differences of conscience. Right? It's one thing to disagree on style of music, so I, you know, I think of a pastor saying, "Gosh, I almost long for the worship wars of the 1990s when all we disagreed on was music." And today there's so many more things we can disagree on, the differences of conscience. But again, the Holy Spirit is one step ahead of us. Just read Romans 14:1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Uh, Paul is not a relativist. So Romans 16, he's talking about those who are preaching a false gospel, and he says, avoid them. Clearly, he has in mind that there are times when truth is more important than unity, but when a disagreement is not a gospel issue. When we can still be in a church and disagree on a matter, unity is more important than getting to the right answer. And that's what Romans 14 is all about.
1: We've been talking with Jamie Dunlop about his book called Love the Ones Who Drive You Crazy. Eight truths from the book of Romans for pursuing unity with those that disagree with us in the local church. A great resource. If you want to find out more information, you can give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. Or you can head over to our website at songtime.com. Well, I got to say that this is an important conversation, especially as we are studying John 13, the story of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, including Judas who would eventually betray him. Actually that very night he'd already had it in his heart. He'd already met with the religious leaders and and agreed upon a price to turn Jesus over to them. Um, these actions of Jesus washing his feet are incredible and something we're going to get into in just a moment but a word of reminder and encouragement why does god present us with these challenges uh, to love people that are difficult to to work through our differences with people who don't naturally fall within our our way of thinking and seeing things and agreeing on everything and here is the quick answer uh, jesus is far more concerned about the gospel than unity Unity is a byproduct of the gospel and it is a witness to the gospel, but it is not the primary means or the end all. It is a secondary product the key is the gospel. And as we work out our relationships, many of them challenging, what we are essentially doing is applying the gospel in real-world scenarios. More on that later, but now we turn to this great message from the late Timothy Keller as we look at John chapter 13 and the story of Jesus washing the feet of his betrayer.
0: What Judas Iscariot tells us is it is absolutely, incredibly important to ask, are the fruit of the Spirit growing in my life? Not how much I know, or how many people's lives have been changed through me, but has my own life been changed? You see, Judas Iscariot did not have love, joy, peace, patience. That's impossible. Those things grow, and he didn't have that. He had suspicion. We're told about that. And he had greed. We're told about that. I'm not, like I said, this isn't a whole sermon on Judas. It's one point and I've got to get on here. But you see, what we're finding is that he had power, he had knowledge, he had all these wonderful things. You and I must not look at those things to tell whether or not the Spirit of God is really working in us and we really understand Christ or not. You have to look at the fruit. The real question, the real question is, think of the fruit of the Spirit. Do, would, would your friends say you are much more patient And much more gracious when people criticize you than you used to be. Are you a better repenter than you've ever been? Are you changing? Are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit? Do you worry less? That's the thing. Not how how smart you are, not how many things you know, not how many people you're helping. Are you changing the fruit of the Spirit? Secondly, The second thing we learn here about is not just the importance of the fruit of love and the fruit of character change, and that's the main thing, and that's the way we're supposed to be, that's what we're supposed to be looking at. The other thing here we notice, something very interesting, and again, uh, it can't be the whole sermon, so I'll be careful, is the unity of the fruit. We not only learn the importance of the fruit of the Spirit here, but the unity. Now, what do I mean by unity? Here's what happened to me. As you know, you see what the title of the sermon is, don't you? It's, It's the love of Jesus. All right. Well, you know, my job is when uh, when I'm preparing a sermon, I always want to know what other people have said about this. So I usually get 12 to 15 other sermons or expositions of a passage, and I read them, see what other people have thought as well. And they always have titles. And one of the things that shocked me is everyone had a different title. You know, I thought I would be opening the books, and they, they would all be you know, on the love of Christ or this love of Christ or that kind of love of Christ, but they weren't. First of all, you had a certain group of people who said, this is all about the humility of Christ. Now, here's why. Think about this with me for a bit. It says, Jesus Christ served these men. He got down and he served these men in spite of who he was. He was not, there is no other place anywhere In Greco-Roman literature, in ancient Jewish literature, where a master with his pupils, a master gets down and, and washes feet, why? We don't know much about this because we don't live, most of us I guess, have never lived in a hot dusty culture and climate, but the fact is that whenever you came into a house, because you were wearing sandals, it was very hot and so on, there was nothing you needed more than to have your feet washed. Now, sometimes you have experienced this, have you not? Have you been out walking and it's been really hot and all that sort of thing? Have you ever come in and actually put your feet after a very long, hot day into a beautiful, warm, you know, tub of water and you go, ah! Oh. It's a wonderful thing and you need to do it, of course, but um, it's nice for the person whose feet are being bathed, but it's, it was, it, it's very stinky and foul for somebody to actually have to do it. And in those days... It was considered such a menial and low task that the rabbis taught that if you had a Jewish servant, that Jewish servant could not be made to wash feet. It was too low. If you had a Gentile servant, okay, let the Gentile servant do it. But if you, that's what the rabbi said. It was considered that low and there's no place anywhere where you not just have a master. You don't just have a master washing the feet of his pupils. That's why they were stunned. That's why Simon Peter says, what are you doing? But It's God. He came from God, it says so, down washing feet. Well, what is this? This is the humility of Jesus. But then you have some other people, and their sermons went like this. The endurance of Jesus. Why? Because they said it's not just that he served in spite of who he was. It says it's incredible that he served in spite of what he was facing. Now, I don't know about you. Actually, my, one of my sons told me about this yesterday. Is that on Saturday? Even though I try to sometimes go around and do things with my family, sometimes I sort of walk around like this, sort of daydreaming, you know. And uh, one of my sons said, "You know, on Saturdays you daydream a lot." I said, "I'm not daydreaming. I'm afraid. I, I'm thinking about John 13, and uh, it's a problem. Uh, and I mean, and, and that's not even a tr- that's not even a problem. I mean, when I'm facing something, I'm just not noticing. And when you're facing what he was, when you're facing something terrible." When you're facing torment, when you're facing death, when you're facing something much greater than torment and death, because Jesus Christ did not come to die for his own sins. He came to die for the world's sins. He he came to take all of justice on himself, and he was feeling the weight of this. And yet, this is foot washing. This is is something you would only notice if you are so present-minded and so concerned for the other people around you, you say, "Well, what would be comfortable? What would be nice here?" In other words, in spite of what he's facing, he's thinking of them. In spite of what he's facing, he's thinking of their of their needs, of their comforts, of little luxuries. And so, some of them say, "It's incredible. It's not just that he's serving in spite of who, who uh, of who he is. He's serving in spite of what he's facing. He is so unself-absorbed. He is so his heart is so much for us." So there's the endurance of Jesus, the faithfulness of Jesus, you see. No matter what, no matter what, no matter what, in spite of all that was on him, he's still thinking of us, he's still meeting our needs, in spite of all of that. It took it, he took it. No matter what came down on him, his love for us took it. Ah, the endurance of Jesus. Nothing let go. Uh, But then there were some other people that said, I haven't thought of this. Amazing! There were some people that said, "No, this is a story of the forgiveness and patience of Jesus with people." Why? Because it doesn't say he washed the feet of eleven or ten. He washed all their feet. And when he came along to Judas, to the feet of a person who was about to go arrange for his torment and death, he washed his feet. He washed the betrayer. He washed the denier. He washed the forsaker. See. He doesn't just serve because, in spite of who he is. He doesn't just serve in spite of what he's facing. He also serves in spite of who they are. In spite of what they've done or what they're about to do. Why are there so many trials and
1: tribulations in the life of a believer? Why are there so many difficulties that we must overcome? Why isn't it so that once we became a believer and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ that we weren't automatically sanctified, made holy and righteous and and clean and pure? And then wouldn't that make amazing witnesses in the world around us? Well, in God's sovereign wisdom and his discernment and his love for us, he gives us these challenges. He gives us these trials and tribulations to produce the gospel in our hearts. Because the only way that we can truly love somebody who drives us crazy, as we were talking about that subject earlier in the broadcast with author Jamie Dunlop, or how to actually get on our knees and wash the feet of people that we would consider our enemies, the only way that we can truly do that is if we consider what Christ has first done for us. It requires us to live the cruciform life. Our founder, Dr. John DeBryan used to always say this. It is the the cross. Our relationship with God is right, then our relationship with each other will be right as well. That, That forms a cross, the vertical line and the horizontal line. We need to make sure that we're not just focused on our isolated relationship with Christ if we aren't able to love one another. In fact, this will be the famous point of view that the Apostle John, who gives us the Gospel of John, will pick Up in his letter to the church, where he writes about loving our brothers, loving those whom God has placed in our lives. This is a practice of the gospel because, as we'll see throughout the New Testament, that the gospel must be practiced when we're loving other people. When the apostle Paul tells husbands, How do you love your wives? By remembering what Christ has done for the church. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. What does that mean? that husbands have to exercise the gospel in a real-world scenario to learn to become more like Christ. The same to wives. Love your husband as Christ loved the church. You can't think about your husband without first considering Christ and what you would do for him for all that he has done for you. In all of this, I think the key element that we need to remember is the importance of rehearsing the gospel. Jesus is giving us real-world scenarios like washing feet as opportunities for us to learn the importance of the gospel in our lives. That it takes service, it takes sacrifice, it takes self-denial. All of these things are acts that Christ did in preparing for the cross to to bear the sins of the world. And it most importantly requires obedience. Obedience to God, even when we don't want to comply. We don't want to do what God wants us to do. We want to have it our way, but we deny ourselves because we know that God and his plans are best. I hope that this encourages you. And if it has, I hope that you'll be an encouragement to us. Would you write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630? Or would you give us a call? It's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com, or you can look us up on social media. Don't forget to tune in again tomorrow as we continue to unpack the love of God and, and how it applies to our own understanding of the fruit of the Spirit
0: when St Paul says these 3 faith hope and love these 3 and yet in the body of 1 Corinthians 13 he says love believes all things love hopes all things the real fruit of the spirit always come together because they're coessential if they're not all there they're not there at all
1: on behalf of everyone here at song time we want to thank you for listening from Cape Cod I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse John 13:34 through 35 a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another.